are Locked On Timberwolves, your daily Minnesota Timberwolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Wolves podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. My name is Ben Beacon. I'm the host of Locked On Wolves. Happy Friday, everybody. Happy weekend. Hopefully you've got some outstanding plans for what should be a wonderful summer weekend. Today, I want to talk through the latest in the second NBA bubble conversation, which actually, as it turns out, may may overlap with the first NBA bubble conversation. There's finally a bit of news on that front, perhaps some momentum towards the Timberwolves actually gathering together as a team. So we'll talk about that here in a moment. And then I want to continue our player snapshot series, moving on from point guards to the two guard spot. That means we're talking all things Malik Beasley today. Uh, Earlier this week, we talked about, we spent an episode talking about D'Angelo Russell, and his uh, season, his outlook for next year, and then did the same with Jordan McLaughlin uh, last time around. So today we're moving on to Malik Beasley. There's a lot to talk about with him. So uh, first, a quick reminder to please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at LockedOnTWolves. That's at LockedOnTWolves. Don't forget the T. All right. So earlier this week, we talked about the, I guess, growing unlikelihood that there would actually be any sort of anything for the eight teams that aren't included in the 22 team NBA restart in Orlando, which now of course is over a week underway and going well. Um, of course the last batch of testing, the COVID testing in the bubble came back with zero positive tests for all the players that are there. Um, and the latest news was that the NBA basically it just the risk reward calculation didn't make sense. Why bring a bunch of guys into a secondary bubble and, you know, not only from a health perspective, but also incur the cost of what that would be to, to set up. You'd have to do it to the same standards, but there's no TV really. I mean, you might get some local TV out of it or whatever, but you're not going to have anywhere near the audience that you have watching LeBron James and Giannis and Zion Williamson and everybody else that's in Orlando for scrimmages or whatever this would be. So the risk reward wasn't there. It didn't make sense. And the NBA was weighing the options of allowing teams to do things individually, but not even include another team. Um, now, the latest report from Sam Amick at The Athletic, and he was part of the earlier report in the week, I think with Sham Strani also at The Athletic, regarding the NBA's um, expiration of a second bubble. He's now saying that the NBA is considering, uh, they had a conference call on Wednesday earlier this week, where league officials made it clear that they're still trying to figure out a solution that would allow teams to stay active. Of course, the Timberwolves, along with uh, basically reports have been, I think it's Detroit and Atlanta and a little bit of Chicago have kind of been the noisiest along with the Timberwolves about feeling like there's a competitive disadvantage for the eight teams that aren't included. That's pretty clear. I mean, these these teams that are in, in Orlando have been there now for a month and have been practicing and scrimmaging and everything. They had the actual real scrimmages. They've been scrimmaging each other before the games actually started. So obviously there's an advantage to that for those for those 22 teams and the Wolves, Hawks, Knicks, Pistons, Cavs, uh, Bulls, Hornets and Warriors, I think, are, are the eight are, um, you know, they're at, at a clear disadvantage. So this conversation now, it looks like they're considering the NBA is considering adding those eight teams to the to the existing bubble at Walt Disney World in Orlando, basically um, in a week once this eight the uh, eight preliminary games are done. Six of the 22 teams will be eliminated. And then after the first round of the playoffs, another eight will be eliminated, meaning that 14 of the original 22 will be gone. Uh, What that means is that it will free up hotel rooms. It'll free up space. It'll free up court time um, for the teams that would then be joining the bubble. So there's clearly some, uh, some logistics there. You know, obviously there'd have to be a quarantine period of who knows, seven to 10 days, maybe two weeks. I forget what they did for the original 22 in the bubble, but for those teams, I would 
imagine they do something where they spend time playing together as a team and then do inter-squad scrimmages. We can only hope that some of those will be televised so we can actually see Carl Anthony Towns on the court with D'Angelo Russell and on the court with Malik Beasley. Um, of course, there's all the questions about some of these guys are about to become free agents in a few weeks. So on, on what level will Malik Beasley be excited to get out there and, and you know go at a breakneck speed? And, and you know maybe he's trying to earn himself a few extra dollars based on how he performs in a scrimmage. But again, what's the risk reward for him in this situation um, for for playing hard and going all out in a situation like this, or Juancho Hernan Gomez is, is, is another one. So, um, this would be fascinating if, if it happened. Um, and it, it looks like it's, it's, it makes sense, right? I mean, the protocols are set up. They would obviously need to sanitize hotel rooms, quarantine each of the teams, but the league has to do something for these teams that have been left out in the cold. And, you know, other than a glorified, you know, OTA and organized team activity, at Mayo Clinic Square in Minneapolis, like it'd be great to get everybody together, but I mean, you're not facing real competition. There's, you know, you're limited with what you can do. So why not do something like this where you've already kind of set up those parameters? And I think that's, uh, that's, that's a good direction for the NBA to be moving in. One other quick note off the top, before we get into the Malik Beasley conversation, the, uh, draft lottery is two weeks from this last Thursday. So, um, I guess another way of saying that would be a week from next Thursday, whenever you're listening to this on, it was bumped up to August 20th. And, uh, just a reminder on the Timberwolves odds, uh, basically they're, they're going to get the Nets pick now, uh, because the Nets are going to make the playoffs. And, uh, I, I don't know if they've actually clinched, but basically, so the Wolves will get the Nets pick at 15 or 16. Um, as we get closer, we'll dive into that and figure out exactly where it'll be. As of now, the Wolves are tied for the best odds for the first pick. They have the third best odds overall. Um, So remember, in the new lottery setup, which I think took place two or three years ago is when it was first implemented, um, the Timberwolves have an equal chance as Golden State and Cleveland at getting the first, second, third, and fourth pick. So they all have a 14% shot at first place. The first pick, I should say, 13.4% at second, 12.7% at third, and 12% at fourth. So you take up you take their odds from one through four. They're the same five is where they start to split. So the warriors can finish no worse than the fifth pick. They have a 47.9% chance at fifth Cleveland's 27.8. They could also finish sixth. The wolves could fall as low as seventh. Although there's only a 7.1% chance. They fall to seventh 26% chance. They'll be sixth, which is actually their best, their best odds. Their next best odds are fifth at 14.8% followed by, um, first at 14%. So they could fall anywhere from one to seven. Um, they have the third best overall odds and tied with Cleveland and Golden State for the best odds for the first pick. Um, I should say, I see here now, if the uh, if Brooklyn wins one more game or if Washington loses one more game, the Nets are in the playoffs and the Wolves will get their pick, which will be 15 or 16. So um, again, the draft lottery, less than two weeks. As soon as that happens, we're going to kick back into a little bit of draft coverage, go back through a 2.0 big board uh, that I put together. I, I you know we, we did the first one over the course of a few weeks here in, geez, I don't know, June and July, I guess. Um, and this feels like the off season that's never going to end. We haven't even had free agency yet. Um, so we'll get into some more draft talk and then obviously into free agency talk as we get into the fall. So that's, uh, that'll be where we go from here. Um, before we get into Malik Beasley, a reminder, start your morning with the news that matters in just 10 minutes. Axios Today host Nyla Boodoo and a team of award-winning journalists will bring you the latest analysis and insight into the trends shaping our world. That's at Axios Today. All right, continuing our player snapshot series is what I've decided to call it. We've covered D'Angelo Russell already. We've covered Jordan McLaughlin. What I'm doing with each player, if you missed the first couple, is basically going through 
recapping their season briefly, um, or their last couple of seasons for guys who just joined the team this over the past few months, um, around the deadline. And then also their pros and cons as players, what they've showed so far on the court, what the outlook is for next year. And if necessary, talking about their role and also their contract situation for the upcoming year, we're also using some brand new statistics and metrics by B-Ball Index. So we'll talk about that here in a minute as that will help support our analysis of each player. Uh, Malik Beasley, the recap for him, of course, is that he was a member of the Denver Nuggets uh, for the previous few seasons. He uh, was offered a contract before this past season, three years and $30 million. He turned that contract down, betting on himself, which is a really gutsy move. Remember, he was a kind of a fringe. It wasn't really in the rotation as a rookie. Second year, he was on the fringes of the rotation, averaged like nine minutes a game, 62 games he appeared in. And then last season, as in the 18-19 season, is when his role really grew. He ended up being involved in 81 games, um, started 18, 23 minutes a game, was a key member of that rotation, stepped up when Will Barton was injured. And remember, that's a Denver team that finished with 54 wins, second in the Western Conference, number two seed. They lost in the second round. So coming out of that season, the Nuggets, the three for 30 actually wasn't, wouldn't have been a bad deal for Beasley because remember, he only had one year in the rotation, but he did shoot 40% from three. He was a solid offensive player for Denver and he turned that contract down. He then became a little bit, his role shrunk a little. He averaged five minutes less per game over his 41 games in Denver this season, the 1920 season, his three-point shooting slipped from 40% to 36%. And his all-around performance just wasn't quite as good. But again, his role shrunk. The team um, worked in a couple of younger guys and uh, and had also acquired a couple guys in the offseason. Um, and Beasley's role just wasn't as large. And so, and so that put him in a tough position to try and prove his worth to then get more than that three for 30 this offseason. Enter the Timberwolves who got him and Juancho Hernan Gomez back from Denver as well as Jared Vanderbilt as part of the three-team deal that sent Robert Covington to Houston. The Wolves also sent Keita Bates-Diop um, to Denver. And um, the Timberwolves started Beasley in, in all 14 games after the deadline. He averaged 33 minutes a game, which would have by far been a career high, almost 10 minutes more per game than he averaged last year in Denver. And his scoring average exploded to 20.7 points per game, 5.1 rebounds, almost two assists. He shot 42.6% from three on eight attempts per game in his 14 games in a Timberwolves uniform. You look at his per 36 numbers with Denver. Last year, he would have been just a hair. He would have been about 17 and a half points per game. His per 36 numbers this year with Minnesota, 22.5 points per game. So it wasn't just due to the more minutes. It, he also just played better, um, or I should say the increase in minutes. He just played better. Although it's not like he wasn't always somebody who could score efficiently when given the opportunity. He's a career 38.8% shooter from beyond the arc. He's always been good in transition. He's a good free throw shooter, although he doesn't get to the line very often. Those strengths were pretty clear for him. And this was a case of him getting the opportunity in Minnesota to do that. Um, he, his strengths, as mentioned, obviously he's a great three point shooter, 38.8% for his career, over 40% with the nuggets last year and over 42% in Minnesota over 14 games this year. He's really good in transition. He's athletic. Um, he has a good enough handle. Um, he can score at the paint when given the opportunity because of his, his athleticism. And those are the things that are most attractive about him as a, uh, as a player in the Wolves rotation, catch and shoot. We'll get into the, into the numbers here in a minute, but he's a, he's awesome in catch and shoot situations and his release is lightning quick. Um, Timberwolves fans would have seen that immediately in his first game in a Wolves uniform, which was that blowout win over the LA Clippers. Uh, the one game he actually, or I guess one of two games he played with Carl Anthony Towns and, um, 
I mean, I think it was his first two or three out of his first four or something, threes or three point attempts in a Minnesota uniform were just catch and shoot, lightning quick release, gets great elevation, picture perfect shot. Um, and that's what the Timberwolves haven't had. I wrote something for Dunkin' with Wolves a few months ago and, and I made a little bit of a, it was a little bit of hyperbole, I guess, but I mean, basically calling outside of Jimmy Butler and you know, maybe the best year of Wally Zerbiak when he, when he played to the two a little bit more, the best, you know, Latrell Sprewell's one year is close. Uh, but he's in the conversation for the best three or four shooting guards in Timberwolves history. He's only played 14 games. I mean, if he does what he did over 14 games over the course of a season, it's him and Jimmy Butler as the best two, two guards ever to suit up for the Timberwolves. And I don't think there's any question about that. He's far more efficient, efficient than, you know, Doug West, Isaiah Ryder, Andrew Wiggins. Um, and I, I mean, that says a lot about Beasley. It also says a lot about Timberwolves history, but he quite clearly is a scorer who, who hasn't gotten his opportunity to score. And Denver also plays a little bit slower. Denver uh, doesn't shoot quite as many threes, although they're obviously an effective offense. The Timberwolves are going to play faster. They're going to give Beasley the opportunity to squeeze the trigger eight, nine plus times per game from beyond the arc and also to score potentially with the ball in his hands, even in transition. Um, you know, and, and in terms of his cons, um, it's his size. Number one. Um, he's, he's not very big. He's, he's six, four, which is okay for a shooting guard, but he doesn't have an outstanding wingspan. He's not very big. Um, he also doesn't score off the dribble very often. He doesn't take his guy in an isolation situation. He's not going to take his guy one-on-one to the rim very often successfully. He doesn't get to the free throw line very much at all. He's pretty much a three pointer, uh, a three point shooter and a transition player and doesn't do much else in the half court. Um, unfortunately the wolves have some other guys who are similar and, you know, Josh Kogi, that's how he tries to score. Although he's a pretty good cutter too. He's not a good three point shooter. Um, I should say Beasley is also a pretty good cutter when given the opportunity. Again, his size is a little bit of an issue. Um, but when he's cutting to the basket, he can be effective because of his athleticism and his scoring touch as well. Um, so those are really the downsides. Oh, and defensively, obviously that's the big one. Um, he's not a good defender and, uh, we'll again, get into the numbers here in a minute, but one-on-one, he's not an outstanding defender. He's just an okay team defender. He's got good court awareness overall, but he has not been a successful one-on-one defender. And because of his size, he can't really guard threes. So he's not super switchable either. He basically, um, you know, can guard ones and twos and that's about it. So that's a little bit of an issue. And part of the reason why there's some apprehension to considering him a, you know, a shoe in to be a starter and to give him a big contract. I also want to talk about what I think he can get in free agency. Remember, he's a restricted free agent, so the Timberwolves will have the opportunity to match any offer sheet that Beasley signs with another team or the Wolves could extend him before it gets to that. Um, He's going to get more than that three for 30 that he was offered by Denver last year. We talked about a couple of weeks ago, John Hollinger on the Hollinger and Duncan podcast had in basically reviewing the Timberwolves had said that he thinks Beasley is essentially a third guard. He's an instant offense guy off the bench. And because of his defensive limitations and his on ball limitations on offense, um, when he's not catching and shooting, basically, uh, he doesn't think he quite has enough. I think the word he used was juice to be a starter on a playoff team in the NBA. And, and the wolves are going to find that out. I mean, if they're going to pay him to be a starter, he better figure out how to you know, be good enough to be a starter. Or if the Wolves don't think he's worth it and offer him something more in line with a six man, who knows if Beasley comes back or if another team's willing to, to give him the money to be a starter. My bet is there's a team out there that thinks he's a starter. And if the Timberwolves feel the same way, they're not going to let him go. 
if they don't, there's a chance Beasley's not back. It just depends on how high that cost gets um, in restricted free agency. So next up, I want to go through those B-ball index numbers to break down Beasley's game a little bit further and his season with the Timberwolves a little bit further. I also talk a little bit about his contract. All right, let's break down Beasley's profile a little bit more based on these numbers from B-Ball Index. Um, again, they're, they're a new partner of us here at Locked On NBA. B-Ball Index has innovative data tools and over 500 player profiles. They're available for just $5 a month or $50 a year over at bball-index.com. That's bball and then a hyphen index.com. So the numbers on Malik Beasley are pretty much in line with what you'd expect. Um, the way that these numbers are broken down is by category and then a grade based on the percentile. So he's in the 93rd percentile for perimeter shot across the NBA. He's also classified as a movement shooter uh, by uh, by B-Ball Index. Um, They have various categories based on the, the profile um, and movement shooter basically just means he's, he's a spot up shooter. He's a guy who can get himself open a little bit, um, but he's mostly going to be catching and shooting. They gave him an A for his perimeter shot, 93rd percentile, 93.1 to be exact off ball movement. He only has a C 47th percentile one-on-one. I alluded to earlier, his one-on-one game isn't outstanding. He is 69th percentile, which is classified as a B for his position. Basically, he doesn't often take his defender one-on-one to the basket successfully. Um, And again, his length has something to do with that, his size. He's got decent touch um, in the mid-range and also at the rim. But uh, again, because of his size, he doesn't often... um, does, isn't often successful there. His finishing at the rim is 61st percentile. That's a B minus. Um, playmaking 68th percentile. That's a B. He's not a huge playmaker. And that's another, um, I guess, another mark on the negative side when you're looking at whether what to pay Malik Beasley is, is he going to create for his teammates? Not really. I mean, he's not, you know, Jarrett Culver, you can at least see some upside there as a playmaker. He struggled obviously a lot as a rookie, but there's some upside there as a playmaker. Um, Malik Beasley, Josh Okogie, those guys aren't playmakers. Um, and so that's, that's not high on the list of things he does well. Perimeter defense, C plus 58th percentile. So again, not a great defender. Rebounding is another issue I didn't really touch on. He doesn't rebound his position very well. He's graded here as a B minus defensive rebounding by B-ball index and just a D minus on offensive rebounding. Overall, a C, 51st percentile for rebounding. Um, And so, you know, that matters. I mean, that factors into the equation as well. He doesn't really rebound his position. He's not really a playmaker, but he can catch and shoot with the best of them. And that's important. Um, One other thing that B-ball index does that's really cool is they give out badges. I talked about this a little bit the other day. Um, so I'll give a real quick explanation. Basically, um, the badges are all based on, um, it's essentially like if you're playing NBA 2K, right? So if, if somebody's a great defender, they have a defense, a defensive badge. I forget what exactly what it's called. It's similar to that, but it's based on these actual numbers. And, and I think apologies to 2K it's, it's more, it certainly is more accurate. Um, and that's actually one of the things they mention in their methodology on bball-index.com. But in terms of the badges, Malik Beasley has a bronze badge for catch and shoot. I was actually a little bit surprised that it wasn't a silver or a gold, but the definition, it's pretty not surprising what the definition is, but it's this badge identifies players taking a high rate and shooting a high percentage on catch and shoot three pointers. Prerequisites are they have to have at least a B minus in catch and shoot three point percentage at minimum, a blend of catch and shoot three point percentage and catch and shoot threes per 75 possessions. And then they also use a three point attempt minimum in, uh, in catch and shoot situations to eliminate the small sample sizes. So he has a bronze badge 
in catch and shoot. Also in transition, he's rated quite well. I'm going to pull up what that badge is called. He's, he's got a silver badge in transition phenom. The idea behind this badge is to capture who is having the highest scoring impact in transition. Basically, the formula is transition points over expectation using efficiency minus expected efficiency and then a few other formula-related things. And then by taking the points over expectation and transition, it eliminates the small sample size. It tells you how effective and efficient players are in transition, and he has a silver there. So both things that you could identify most likely with the eye test uh, in watching 14 games of Beasley in the Timberwolves uniform last year, you should have been able to tell. He's very good in transition, extremely good in catch-and-shoot situations. Interesting that actually, based on these numbers pulled by B-Ball Index, and my understanding is that this takes not just his 14 games in Minnesota, but also his 41 games in Denver, combines it all together. He actually was better in transition comparatively to catch-and-shoot situations. Now in Minnesota, I think it was maybe flipped although he was also very good in transition in a Timberwolves uniform over those 14 games as well. So I think um, that's all really interesting to, to lay that out. Again, those numbers come from B-Ball Index. Their innovative data, tools, and 500 plus player profiles are available to you for just $5 a month or $50 a year at bball-index.com. The one other thing I want to talk about with Beasley is his potential contract. Again, he was offered three years and 30 million from Denver last fall. I think it was in October. I'm betting he gets three or four years in restricted free agency at somewhere in the 12 to 13 range, 12 to 13 million per year. Back on the Hollinger and Duncan podcast, it it was like late May, they had a conversation about uh, free agency and and numbers in free agency for some of these restricted guys. Um, They were also talking about top, I guess the title of the podcast was top five free agents by position. So Beasley came up obviously as a guy who, who has starting caliber potential at the two guard spot. And basically, um, Hollinger said that he thought 15 million would be awesome for Beasley and his agent would do, you know, it'd be a slam dunk job to get Beasley 15 million a year. More recently, when they talked about the Timberwolves on that same podcast, it sounds like they were expecting it to be a little bit lower based on the cap, probably not moving much for next year. Um, so the Timberwolves could get him for say 12 million a year and they pay a little bit of a premium for those 14 games he had in Minnesota. Um, that were awesome. And it's above that 10 million he was offered last year. That would be awesome for the Timberwolves. 12 million a year, call it three or four years. So, you know, 12 million a year, three years, 36 million total would, I don't know that it would be a steal for Beasley, but that would be probably the best case scenario for the Wolves. You pay 13, 13, five, you're probably okay. You go much above that. And he's got to be a star. If you're paying him 14 million or more, that potential might be there. But for all the reasons we listed on, on the cons side of the ledger, the Wolves should have some apprehension, and I think they would with matching anything he's offered by another team that's over you know, $13.5 million or so per season. So um, we'll be fascinating to see how this all plays out. I would imagine there's a team out there that's interested. Another thing that Hollinger had talked about on that podcast is there aren't a ton of teams with cap space. Atlanta is one, and he's also from the Atlanta area, so that would be a team to watch. If they think they can jumpstart, you know, they can accelerate their growth, I guess, with Trey Young and others by adding Malik Beasley to the fold and paying him 14 or 15 million or something crazy that the Wolves aren't going to match. That's probably, you know, the, the only real competition the Wolves should have for Beasley. It's not the best year to be hitting restricted free agency, given uh, everything that's going on from the weird offseason because of COVID to COVID itself to um, cap space and, and some of the questions about where the cap's going to be. Um, but at any rate, the Wolves should have a good chance at retaining Beasley. And if they do, I would expect him to be the starting two guard 
And we'll talk more about Jarrett Culver on his specific episode, but I think then he becomes kind of that third guard off the bench, a little bit of a second unit playmaker type guy with a Kogi sliding in as the other wing in the starting lineup. And Beasley as your your third option on offense behind Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell is, uh, I think, the most likely scenario. All right, that's all we have for you today. Have an awesome weekend. We are going to get back into player snapshots next week. Also, any news, of course, on the bubble, on the Timberwolves ownership situation, and anything else that comes up over the next few days. Thanks once again for listening to the Locked On Wolves podcast. Of course, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Remember, the Locked On Network is your local experts on the biggest stories. Subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On T Wolves. That's at Locked On T Wolves. Don't forget the T. And if you have a moment, please help us out with a positive review on Apple. It definitely helps us get in front of more eyes and ears. Once again, I'm Ben Beacon. This is the Lockdown Wolves podcast, and we'll catch you next time.